Hi everyone and welcome to Wholeness with Hannah, a podcast to remind you that your personal whole is the only goal. Feeling whole and aligned can mean totally different things to different people. Give yourself permission to love what you love, feel what you feel and believe that you deserve everything that you want just because you want it. Me and my guests discuss all things mental, physical, spiritual and financial health alongside tools, practices and concepts that can help to enhance the everyday experience of life. I can't promise that we won't go a little off topic at times because I warn you now, I'm a bit of a talker, but I hope this podcast leaves you a little more equipped than it found you. Nobody else is you and that is your power. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Wholeness with Hannah. Today I'm joined by Tanya Azevedo. Tanya is from Portugal and grew up with the idea that she would follow a more traditional path. She went to Catholic school and then had plans to go on to study medicine. But at the last minute, she decided to pursue her passion instead. And thank goodness she did. She moved to the UK to pursue her dream of musical theatre and is now a Portuguese theatre maker, director and dramaturg. She's recently directed the world premiere of But I'm a Cheerleader, based on the cult LGBTQ plus film and is the winner of a What's On Stage award for Best Off West End Production. Tanya has also been resident director on the West End production of Anne Juliet, and this past summer she was the King's Head Theatre Guest Artistic Director. Tanya wants to help create an environment where queer musical theatre makers can bring a plethora of stories to connect and educate audiences from all walks of life. She's learned to embrace her full authentic self and sexuality, follow her passions and live life her way. I'm so excited to chat to her today and find out more. So welcome to the pod, Tanya. This is fun. (laughs) I love that interaction. Everyone's always a bit overwhelmed by the intro. Yeah, it is a little bit. It feels like an obituary, actually. I was like, like, wow, if I died now. (laughs) Hannah's nailed it. Yeah, that would be very good. You know what? Take it. (laughs) Love it. So can you start then by just, I usually ask everyone to just give kind of a brief overview from where you were, where you are now. Goodness. Um, I know it's not often brief. Can we (laughs) we start with where I am now? Is that easier? Yes. Yeah, you go for it. Yeah. Because obviously I've mentioned that you thought you were going to do medicine and now you've been talking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've been in the UK for uh, 15 years now, almost. 13, but you know, 15 sounds better. 15, round it up. (laughs) Um, And and it's been quite a journey. Like I I came when I was um, 18 to study musical theatre and I trained as a performer actually uh, initially and it wasn't until I graduated that I realised that actually women could be directors and I could now could be one of those yes. um and, and and we could talk more about that transition later if you'd like um but yeah so I I focus on on directing musicals mostly these days um I have a very big passion for advocating for LGBTQ stories and mm-hmm. and that representation within musical theater um especially um of of female queer characters and mm-hmm. non-binary characters um and yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm at these days. Great. Very happily in London. Love that. So, okay, let's rewind. Where, rewind. Before you moved to London mm-hmm. and you went to Catholic school. Yes. And you thought you were going to study medicine. Mm-hmm. So to go from thinking that to then ending up where you are now, that's quite a difference. Yeah. So what happened there? It's quite a jump. Um, so I was uh, brought up, I grew up in a small village called Ribeirão. Uh, don't expect anyone to be able to say <laughs> that one, um, but uh, you know, my I'm a descendant of uh, agricultural, uh, an agri- agricultural family. So I, I grew up surrounded by cows and tractors and fields. Oh, and how peaceful! Oh, very peaceful. <laughs> yeah, as peaceful is the word for it, Hannah. <laughs> um, and 
at, you know, in, in a relatively conservative mindset, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and I think that Portugal is already a conservative country, but there's some, some areas of the country that are more conservative than others. And I would say the Ribeirão is very conservative. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it um, makes a lot of sense that uh, somebody that grew up in that surrounding would go to Catholic school. My, I, I was brought up in a Catholic environment. Um, I went to a school that was run by nuns, which was very exciting <laughs> at many points. Um, but, you know, the the religion was a, a key part of the education and, and certainly a key part of the culture. I think that's right. what's important to note. Um, and I and I was actually really devoted until I came to the UK. Um, I took my religion quite seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I went to religious summer camps and and it was a key part I think of making me who I am and there's a lot of values from that time that I still hold sure. mm -hmm. um, but, but there's also uh, or at the time there was this this kind of thought that if you wanted to be someone in Portugal or if you wanted to grow up to uh, have a comfortable lifestyle mm -hmm. you would probably pick between becoming a doctor an engineer or maybe an architect if mm -hmm. you were a bit artistic or if you're good at sports then you could do football right kind okay. of the only routes available um and i think that the combination of like you know the the catholic values and the fact that i was always a, a, a people person and was quite good at memorizing things so it meant that my grades were decent um it kind of just led to this thought of okay well out of the four <laughs> and you can't draw for shit so out of the four it will be medical school yeah, like you yeah. you will become a doctor and i was like okay well i like helping people and i'm good at remembering things so if these are my, my yeah. only options these are the options mm -hmm. of course um and then when i was 14 um and i always you know my my mum was a big fan of musicals we always listened to musicals in in the house i do i love music i mean i don't think that you can be have so an intact good. soul if you don't <laughs> you like don't. musicals i'm just like something's You're wrong with you at a core level if you, if yeah. you yeah <laughs> Another point for later. Yeah, yeah. Um, many pins to put on later. Um, sorry, where was I? So you <laughs> you were like, obviously, I'm going to go to medical school. Yes, obviously, I'm going to go to medical school. Um, and then my mum, when I was 14, my mum saw this newspaper advert. Attention, we are at like newspaper times. A newspaper advert for this audition for a musical for, for children to be part of a musical. Okay. And so I went to this audition. My mom was like, would you like to go? And I was like, yes. I went to this audition. I'd never performed outside of my living room before and somehow got into this show. Um, and so it meant that from the ages of 14 to 18, I I started like performing first at amateur level and then at professional level in Portugal. And for my parents, I was very much a, okay, that's a really nice hobby. Sometimes you get paid a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but you are playing, you know, some of the biggest theatres in Portugal. Um, you're not getting paid much. And so it just kind of solidified this idea that the performing arts were a hobby. Right. Like it's something that you do mm -hmm. on your part time. And I was able to do it whilst studying for my, you know, exams for uni to get into med school. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much a, n no one kind of looked at it as a, you would do this professionally because you're already doing it mm -hmm. whilst you're studying. So why would you think that you could do it professionally? Right. Was kind of the thought process. So that was a, would you say that was a bit of a limiting belief? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say that that was a limiting yeah. belief. And I, I, and I would also say that it was a, a limiting belief 
from the culture that surrounded us. Yeah. And it was also, I mean, you know, you know, if I had grown up in Lisbon, I'm sure it would have been very different. Right. But also we were in, you know, a small village yeah. just outside of Porto. You know, which is yeah. not even the capital. Um, and, and the industry, the performing arts industry in Portugal has evolved massively since then. Um, but at the time, I could see that my teachers, my performing arts teachers that, that I could see as kind of my only uh, reference of what an adult in the performing arts look like, mm-hmm. um, all just taught and maybe did one show a year. And so that also solidified in me that there was no kind of other route to it. Right. Okay, so then did you did you at all start to study medicine? Yeah, <laughs> no, I no. didn't. So in our last year of high school, which is when you do, I think you're equivalent to A levels. Yeah. So we mm-hmm. need to yeah, do A levels in the UK. Yeah. yeah. So when we were studying for the equivalent of the A levels, um, I was really falling behind, mm-hmm. and and I was having some, so, you know, as far as everyone else con- was concerned around me, I was still going to go to medical school, and. Simultaneously, I like started a theater group in my school um, because I was just looking for any any way to keep yeah. like the connection with okay. theater alive. Um, and then uh, w- a drama school called Mountview, that is is a drama school here in London, one of the lead drama schools, um, came to Portugal to do some workshops, and I took part in one of those workshops. Um, and one of the teachers was like, "You've got a good voice. <laughs> Have mm-hmm. you thought of auditioning for these schools?" And I was like, "Actually." No, I never thought that I could. Yeah, um, okay. And he was like, well, you should. And I said, great, okay. But he also said, I also hear like a rasp in your voice, so you might want to get that checked out. Okay. So it's <laughs> turning an interesting turn Ooh. for Hannah. Um, right, thanks and, for your observation, mister. And so, Yeah, and so I went and got it checked out, and um, the doctor was like, oh, no, you do indeed have some nodules in your in your vocal folds because you've been singing in all these musicals right. without any proper training. So <laughs> okay. you should probably get rid of these before you, like, embark on, on mm. this on this route um and so I did like a year of speech therapy and a lot of cortisone treatment and a lot of like you know it was literally like preparing for a for a marathon um and so it was a year of of like this these medical treatments in order to feel prepared to audition for Mountview um and then I asked my parents Mm -hmm. um can I as an 18th birthday present can I go and audition and they were like well probably not going to get in so fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, I think that my mum really hoped that I did, but I also think that in everyone's mind, it was like, ah, that is a long shot. Like you yeah. haven't even thought about this until now. And now you're like, all of a sudden. Maybe you... they were just trying to protect you because from disappointment that they thought might happen. I honestly think that's what mm-hmm. it was. And I think that it was also so out of the blue for them that it was like, it, I think that the most that they thought would happen would be that last minute I would go, I don't want to study medical school. I'm going to study performing arts in Portugal. Right. But not, I'm going to move to another country yep. at, uh, at the age of yep. 18. Like that that felt, and it was also, I think when I look back and I remember that it was just at the beginning of the internet being popular. Right. And, and that I think that at, at that time when we were just entering uni, like mm-hmm. we didn't have the same kind of worldview that I think teens do have now. Oh yeah. And that <laughs> makes me sound so old, but I just like, when I look yeah. at that, like, my worldview at the time, like even just moving to London, which is two hours away from Portugal, felt like you're going yeah, to is, find a new world. That is a big deal, though. Yeah, moving countries is hard. Not that I know. Yeah, so. nah, <laughs> no, but it is. It absolutely was. But anyway, so yeah, I did the audition, and to my surprise, I got in. And yay, yay huzzah! We all knew that. Was I came with my mom and with my best friend. How did your parents react? 
Yeah, my but mom. I'm like, oh, my mom was ecstatic. <laughs> oh, good. And my mom was like, oh my god, I'm sad you're leaving, but but wow. also, who cares about medicine? This is who your cares path. about medicine? Musicals. But, but wow. Was that the point when you were like, well, I'm obviously not going to do medicine now. Well, not quite, because then I went to my dad and I was like, Dad, I got in and I kind of want to go, and it will cost a lot of money, and mm. it means a whole lot of like a different thought about financing mm. this. And my dad was a bit like, well, what about med school? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it yeah. really was the, but that that's that has not been the plan. Um, and and the kind of the deal that he made with me was, you still need to do your A levels, and you still need to get a passable grade that mm-hmm. would get you into medicine. What A levels were you studying? Um, biology, geology, chemistry, physics, and maths. Wow, <laughs> you are set up to go to med school. Girl. I was ready. I was ready. Uh, yeah, like, wow, that's so and impressive. I was learning the formulas to this. I remember it to the day to the soundtrack of Legally Blonde the musical. Oh my god! Like I had oh the god, formulas the memorized. The best. To... Elwood's is my Elwood's forever idol. Was the one? Yeah. Forever. So, so yeah. So my dad was like, "This is, you know, it was March by the time that I got in. It was very, it was very close to my, sorry, May. It's very close to my birthday, and the A levels weren't until June, July. Mm. So my dad was like." It's You've not over yet. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just go like, oh, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to Mountview, so I don't need to do this. And so, it in fairness, I think that was the vice parental choice to, to make, which yeah, was I you still that. need to commit to it mm-hmm. to the end of the day, and then you have a choice. Then you have and the two it, options yeah, on the table. Then once you've got your A-levels, you know, if in the future you did want to go back, you could. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because how I was feeling at the time, I was like, fuck maths, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm bet. going. Did you feel inside you, were you a bit like, oh, this is what I've meant to do, this is what I want to do, I don't actually want to go to med school? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 100%. Yeah. As soon as I got in, I was like, oh my God, this is it. And also, right. you know, when you go to these drama schools, when you've not had any contact with any of them, it really feels like, wow, it's it's it was, fame. It I'm going to be living yeah. in fame, it's meant yeah. to be, I'm going to be a big star in yeah. the West End. Um, and, you know, and then different realizations come later, mm-hmm. later in the process. But at that moment, I was very much like, this is it. Right. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't think that I grieved the like, I'm disconnecting from this drama mm-hmm. school path. And I think that if anything, the, the real kind of clash came from seeing all of my friends that, mm. you know, and we were very close in my year, year group. We had a friendship group that we were very close then and seeing them all go on this path of medicine or biology or engineering mm-hmm. and it, and realizing that that was a path that I one day was going to go on mm-hmm. and seeing just how different in what like different that. direction I'd gone um so yeah so that was the yeah via via catholic school into okay. almost medicine but actually swerving to musical theater I love that you did that and I love that you followed what you actually wanted to do because you so easily could especially mm. with those A levels you so easily could have gone to med school and your life would be so different yeah and it's you know what's interesting is that I I didn't have the easiest time in drama school like the three mm. years actually at drama school were actually some of the darkest of my life because I think really? that in what, yeah in what way? um I think that I was feeling I'd never felt other in my life. Right. And I think that arriving in the UK and it being the first time that I wasn't in an environment with mostly other Catholic people. Yeah. So I think that that was like the my crisis in faith was the kind of big, first big blow. And then the fact that I felt very foreign. And even though my mum's Australian, I was brought up bilingual, my English right. was better than most you know, English most people. other immigrants. <laughs> well, no, but most other immigrant immigrants that I that yeah. I met, and so it wasn't necessarily a language thing, but it was certainly a cultural barrier thing. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and so that. that you know, the the cultural, the English London culture, um, coming from a very small town community, 
was was a huge uh, shock. And then I didn't know it then, but I was also grappling with my sexuality. I didn't know that that was right. what was happening, but that's what was happening in hindsight. Yeah. Um, and also, I think I was starting to realize that actually um, the performing arts that I had experienced in Portugal had been so focused on community and mutual support and actually the vibe in drama school was very different right. and it was a lot more about com you know fierce internal competition was it quite individual yeah it mm. was very individual and it was very um i was constantly second doubting myself you know that my my perception of self that i had pre drama school and and also Again, things have changed a lot since then, but there was a lot that came into being a female performer and how you were expected to look um, and that I totally. never had, you know, the, the type of body that maybe mm -hmm. was at the time people associated with being in a musical um, or a lot of my teachers wanted to pin me in the Latina category and wanted to put me like, well, you're foreign and you're from a Latin wow. country, so you will play the Marias and the, right. you know, like that was my casting, um, but I didn't look that way. And so it, it you How know. How did you feel about that? Oh, horrendous. Yeah. Re and, and that's the other thing, right, is that you spend a lot of time in drama school um, kind of finding your authentic self. Yeah, I'm sure. But the only texts and material available to any characters to play were British or American, or if they were foreign, they were very foreign. They were very like, and that's the foreign girl. That yeah, you've is, got you to be know, in that box. Yeah. And and that was the box that I played. You know, anything that was French, Italian, Puerto Rican, like it. That's where I got thrown. I played an Indian character at one point. I was like, wow, couldn't be further from that. Yeah. Um, but that was very much the the and so. When, you know, at any person at those ages from 18 to 21 is trying to find themselves, when you're trying to find yourself in your in your own kind of... It's hard of, enough when you're in your comfort I, zone. Yeah, yeah, let alone when you're getting pushed into all these boxes that you really feel like you don't fit. Um, and so my point with that was was that whilst I was doing my, my three years at Mountview, I kept thinking, fuck, my life would have been so much easier if I'd I was gone to medical school. just going to ask Like, that. life would have been... Like I would have gone in a path with people that think like me and share my beliefs and I would have understood what that path was and I wouldn't have to do this interrogation that I'm doing. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did you have a, any moment where you were like, I've made the wrong decision? So many. I, I looked at flights a lot in that, that first year. I was constantly, constantly was thinking of quitting. And my parents were the first ones to go like, we have paid a lot of money for you to be there. Right. <laughs> and so, you really yeah. wanted this, so you're going to be there. Right. And I was like, okay. Okay. I'm was that a good thing? Did you feel supported? Like, if you really did say, oh, I can't, I want to come home. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think oh. that if I, and I, and, I, and I also think that at the time, that was the best thing they could have done, which was, which was to go, we mirror to you and we remind you that you really wanted this. Um, and it's, and because it's hard and because you're afraid and out of your comfort zone, that shouldn't be a reason to quit. So I'm really glad that they did that. Yeah. Because also, I think, you probably grew so much more than you would have grown if you went to med school. Yeah, so much more. And also, I don't think that I would have found my identity as an artist or my identity as a queer person or any of those things yeah. if I hadn't stayed in London. And I think that, you know, not only drama school, but London as a city and then the environments that I went to encounter when I graduated really allowed me to have to, to come into other... All sorts of different people, even in my spiritual practice, grew a lot. You know, when I was able to let go, when I was able to kind of reconcile um, the loss of Christianity for me, which was which actually felt like a huge loss. And what was interesting was that for the first couple of years, I was trying to find my 
Catholic tribe in the UK. So I was right. trying to go to other churches and other youth groups and, and not quite clicking and and especially on LGBTQ issues. I right. was like, okay, I, w- I felt like... Was this at the same time that you were kind of questioning your sexuality yeah. and what you thought it was or what it had been? Yeah, like? absolutely. And I think in hindsight, it, it, and I'm just thinking of this for the first time, but I think that I'd never thought about it in Portugal because there was no other queer people around me that I knew of. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there were, but we just, just didn't vape. speak about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and and therefore, I'd never felt a sense of exclusion. Whereas when I came to the UK and I was like, oh, I'm contemplating that maybe I too am. And I found no church that made space for that. And so I think that in that I, I began a kind of rebellion against it. I went through a phase of going like, no spirituality for me. Um, and then slowly started exploring other routes. How did you explore other routes? Um, so I had a very good friend um, who who is still one of my closest friends and, and he's my, my dearest friend from Mountview um, called Manal. Um, and he um, is part of this kind of Hindu branch called the Brahma Kamaris. Right. Um, and he took me to his, to his center a few times. And so that was my kind of first introduction to another religion yeah. that wasn't Christianity. Right. And that was meditation based. And I was like, ah, okay, cool. Okay. There is something here. Um, and I, and I slowly started tapping into into meditation with that practice. Um, and then when I finished drama school, a few years after drama school, I went solo traveling to East Asia. Um, oh, I love that. Nothing like a solo trip. Nothing yeah, like a solo trip. Like, well. sincerely, mm. the Eat, Pray, Love is very... I'm, I've done it. I'm in there. I'm all for it. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. I think that if you could do it, I one should. everyone... I mean, I do feel quite strongly about this, so it's not for everyone, but... I think everyone will benefit from a, a solo trip like that. Me Being too. open to it. Putting yourself in a in a foreign place where you don't know anyone and it is a bit out of your comfort zone. And then I think even just whatever you do there, wherever you go, when you come back from that, you'll be like, you'll feel more confident. You'll, you'll be like, I did this and it was uncomfortable and, and it, you know, or whatever you get out of it. I just, I just think it's such a good experience. Me too. And I think that, you know, you learn a lot about yourself yes. by having to just meet people and form you know close connections yeah. in the space of two days three days totally. um but yeah i went to a buddhist center and i did a silent retreat whilst i was there oh um, my god in Hold thailand i love that it was incredible it I, was was gonna, the... I was gonna actually say let's rewind to meditation but i guess we can carry on from here then okay sorry i just had to stop there because i just that's <laughs> yeah. amazing yeah the power of meditation is wild i've got into it this year and it's changed my head my world so sorry Karen. no since it's sincerely wild and i had how long was the silent meditation um, the silent meditation treatment was was treatment treatment <laughs> <laughs> retreat <laughs> uh was uh five days um which was a long time a long to time. be in silence mm-hmm. and by then i had i think maybe three years of meditation practice okay um, and was that I just kind of your own practice doing yeah. it a bit each day yeah, yeah okay, so. a little bit of my own practice very led by the by the brahma kamaris by the bks so nothing as intense as the five day silent retreat. yeah nothing yeah. as intense as that absolutely not and i really in fairness i don't think that i knew what i was and it was a very last no, minute I decision i was very much like yeah yolo whatever and then when i got there i was like oh no that people are taking this seriously and you're getting up at 4 a.m. at the really? crack of dawn to chant. It was, you know, the, the days were a whole wild thing. Can you very quickly take us through the day? Please. So we, you woke up at 4.30 with the sunrise and then you went to do an hour of chanting. Um, and you didn't really know what you were chanting, but no, it was I very soothing. <laughs> it was very, very soothing. Um, and um, 
and so you did an hour of chanting and that was until 5.30 and then he went to you had your breakfast and then so early. it's so early and what's really bizarre is eating with a group of people in silence yeah, now okay, that yeah, that is, is truly Frap, bizarre comfort zone's out the window there yeah absolutely because you're just like yeah you chant with these people very beautiful you listen to the teacher and, and he kind of like talks about that day's lesson beautiful and then you go to the canteen and everyone is just eating silence and you're like smiling and waving to like the people but you're like in, with this group of people you don't know where they're from you don't know their names you don't know anything about them so the teacher talks someone the teacher talks, talks. Okay. the teacher talks very little uh, kind of just, just in that morning chanting session right. but yeah um, and so then you eat and then you do your morning meditation which then would be like from 7 6.37 until 11 and you just all go to a room and at some point in that morning session, you would have like your one-on-one with a teacher in which you don't speak, but the teacher goes, today you should focus on this. So he gives you like a little task for okay. the day. Um, and you could do stood standing meditation, sat meditation, or laying down meditation. So everyone was in the same room, but these were kind of like the three practices right. that you that you could do. Then you have lunch. Then you have your like one hour of free time in the forest to roam, and you're just surrounded by speak. the forest and not speak. Um, I started singing to cats at this point. I like went in the forest and I found some cats and I sang to them just to prevent myself from going insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you had some journaling time, and then you had the afternoon meditation session, and then you had an hour of the hour of free time that people usually yogurt during right. this time and then you're in bed by seven dinner and then bed oh my god okay wow and that's so was... interesting what did you learn from it what happened what what from you going in and you coming out what was the difference for you in in yourself yeah i th- you know it was a very like the wave of that process was very i think that by the first night i was really resenting it yeah i can imagine um, yeah. I you was, must go through stages yeah you really go through stages and i was really like why am i here and i don't like i i've not and also like the teachers were by the end i really appreciated them but then you know english is obviously not their first language mm-hmm. nor are they the most eloquent in english so even the little bits of learn and and then you just get impatient right you just want to learn fast mm-hmm. as with anything you so you're just like well i'm not making the progress that i should be making my mind is wandering a lot um and you know by day three you start to go with the flow by day three you're just like okay and it's okay if my mind wanders and it's okay if well that is what meditation is right people always think you're supposed to have no thoughts and it's like you're never gonna you're have never no gonna thoughts. have no thoughts yeah. and you know and i started you know, by day two, I was like writing letters to people. Like I was having so many thoughts of, well, when I get back, I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to unpack this with my family. So and did it give you clarity on things? A lot. And and I never sent any of those letters, but I just Sometimes like wrote you don't them. Need to, no. You don't need. I didn't need to by the end. But at those moments, I was like, well, when I get back, I'm going to solve this issue. Mm-hmm. And then I just wrote the letter, and then it just like stayed in this notebook that I that I still have. Um, and yeah, and so by day five, I was very ready to leave, but if you would have told me you need to stay another five days, I would have. Yeah, so did your, so your mind from the start to the finish really did yeah. change. Yeah, and it was also like, it was also such a rehab because you didn't have access to your phone or they asked you not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I fulfilled that, I didn't yeah, turn it on. you're probably a bit like, I'm in. You're all in or you're, you're yeah, out, Yeah, absolutely. You really, and so. so like, it really was like no, you know, I've never had it since of having no contact with the outside world yeah. for five days in a I row and not having. Even if I've done a day. Yeah. Oh, oh, and they also ask you to not read and not like have any other input than your own. And so you're not like, you know, you're not listening to music. You're not reading and not watching films. You're not having any other stories. You're really just sitting in your thoughts, your feelings. Yeah. And that, nature. The silent power of silence is amazing. But. Like, who really does that? Yeah. And you know? also, it removed what was, you know, um, 
turning to socialization is my kind of uh, go-to defense mechanism, you know? Like, I'm very good in a group situation totally. to just be like, great, I'm just going to talk and be the social butterfly. So many and then do I don't that. have to go inwards. We all do. I, I, I can relate to that. And I think that being in a group with other people that my instinct was to go like, la la la, if I just mm -hmm. go and be bubbly, then nothing can intrude and not have being able to do that and actually just being like, I'm just sat with you, I feel like shit, like we all look gross. You're sitting and in your And you're just sitting in your feelings and you don't, and actually it was lovely to share that with those people, but if they weren't there, it would have also been equally nice. There was a sense of community, mm -hmm. but you're never gonna, you're never gonna speak about it. You're never gonna see them again. You're never even gonna know their names. But I shared that with those, yeah. you know, 16 other humans that were there. Um, yeah, it was wow. really life, life changing. And since then, my, it really has solidified the power of a spiritual practice yeah. in whatever, you know, in whatever route that, what that, that is. You, and yeah. it just, it's not, I really value a lot of the lessons and value and kind of core moral values that I took from Christianity. I've, I've, it's not like I've, you know, severed my ties, but I've just found a spiritual practice that speaks to me more. What would you, what is your spiritual practice now then? At the moment, it is a, a mixture of m daily meditation. Mm -hmm. I don't do it every day, yeah, but right. I really yeah. try. Same, uh, that's <laughs> but I want to do it every yeah, day. That's absolutely. where I'm at. Yeah. yeah and if you can't, you can't. It's fine. If you can't, yeah. you can't. And if you have bad days, you have bad days. Exactly. Um, and, and a practice of gratitude. So gratitude Same. journaling. Changed and, my life. Yeah, it really has. It and I think that it just... And it sounds... I think people that don't do it and I I hold my I was totally that person before I did it I was a bit like what's that gonna do for me I, mm. you know I never did it and I've done it now for what are we in September probably I would say I started it last December it has changed everything and it is everything people said about it was true but you only know that when you do it you and only know it you. when you do it mm. absolutely and it's I, I started mine actually the the gratitude practice over pandemic because I I just needed something yeah, to focus on mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. to not go insane, yeah. um and I think that what it does for me is it it really opens up this no matter how you're feeling no matter how blue your day is you're gonna tap into something you're that makes it something. worth being alive mm -hmm. and tomorrow you're gonna be more grateful that you're alive and, and it that's can it. Be as small as my morning coffee or mm. the fact that there's blue sky today or anything like that. And I, I think is more powerful than you can really imagine, isn't it? Absolutely. Especially if you're a really heady person mm. or you work in a very fast paced industry. You know, I, f I find my the performing arts industry really difficult sometimes because also because yeah. it's so um, ego based yep. um, and it's so um, superficial in many ways in, in, and um, I say I say it with love. There's obviously many many wonderful things about it, uh, but for especially for sensitive people, and I'm a very very sensitive person. Mm. I'm a Pisces. I mean, listen, yeah. you have to be <laughs> um, very sensitive person. You just absorb. You just go through life, and before you know it, you're feeling really terrible, and you don't know mm -hmm. why. And I and you know, seven years after I've started my spiritual practice, I still have these days in which I go, I feel terrible and it's horrible. And yeah. one of my best friends goes, have you been meditating or journaling? No. Well, yeah. then there you go. And it's, you know, yeah. I'm not saying that it will fix everything for everyone. No, but I totally. Think and I think meditation, I think it's really important that you realise it's not about having no faults. It's about the faults coming, acknowledging them and letting them pass. And I would say, what it's done for me is kind of create a space between a fault and me thinking about that fault. Mm. So a fault I'm having, I now find myself 
one, not getting angry about it, two, not really reacting in my body to it. I'm like, that's an intrusive fault. I don't need to have that fault. Mm. Or that's an irrational fault. I do that a lot. I'm like, oh my God, that's irrational. Like, whereas it gives you that space to think about the fact that I'm having this fault and it's irrational. Whereas before, when I was 100 miles an hour in my old jobs and things, I, I, I just, I wouldn't stop. And all of a sudden you have a fault and I, that fault felt real. And actually sometimes I, f- I think now we aren't our faults. Mm. And... It's, you know, do you know what I mean? It's hard to explain until you've kind of got into the practice, but I'm, I'm much calmer in myself. I don't react to things, really. I can sit with things much quicker. I genuinely, obviously I have bad days. Like you said, everyone has bad days and I do, but nowhere near as much as I used no, to. No, and I think that what, what you're tapping into that and what really amazes me about a spiritual practice of any kind is the, the sense, you're returning to your sense of self Yes. And reminding yourself of what yourself is mm-hmm. under all the layers, under mm-hmm. the ego, under your job title, under your responsibility, like familial or romantic responsibilities, like who you who are you at are. your core and your where your morals and your values sit yeah. in that core. And it I just, it, it really does. And I think to me, that's the most soothing thing is the coming back to, you, you know, especially when I'm feeling high intensity emotions, the going back to, but who are you really? You emanate from this place of love and light. Yes. Everyone does. Great. Fine. We go and back to that. The other thing I've noticed recently is I've picked up on things. I, I think I used to be such a people pleaser. I think I never would put myself first. And I've noticed two things in the last week it was even just a friend saying let's go here and me thinking no actually I don't want to go that wasn't the plan I don't want to go mm. there that's where the old me would have gone oh of course whatever you want because I, I just need to make sure you're okay and I'll please you and I really I think it's a mixture of not just meditation but this working on myself this past year I'm like it's okay to not do that yeah it's okay to not just want to please everyone all the time and I'm now like your true self yes, right and like, I think I'm so in touch with me what I want who I am now it's made such a difference. Mm. And that uh, meditation has 100% compu- contributed to that massively. It is It is a really beautiful, transformative thing. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Okay, well, that's amazing. And <laughs> what an experience. Can't remember where Don't we even were know before how we that got there, now. Actually. Yeah. Once you mentioned the <laughs> silent retreat, I was like, in everything. <laughs> I am in. Yeah, so I don't that? know where we left it. When was that? Um, that was in 2016. Um, yeah. I w- it was kind of like... I'd graduated, I decided to shift into directing, which right. was uh, a, a very big move. And actually, the move that I'm the most grateful to have made in my life. Um, because I graduated as a performer, I got my agent, I started auditioning, I you know, did the whole headshot thing. Um, and I worked for a couple of years as a performer, but I was really um, unsatisfied by it. I was really unsatisfied by being um, kind of serving another person's creative vision actually um and so i my year group uh wrote a new musical and we won an award and we got to take it to the Edinburgh fringe and so i got to direct that and that was my first like ah okay maybe i should be a director and at this point i hadn't you know in in portugal i certainly had met very few female directors and kind of my idea of what a director should be was very much like you know he's a he's a man mm-hmm. he's old he's white and that is when when you are a director right. you certainly can't be a young female director um and so you know and and it, it's taken me many years i think to build the confidence of i am allowed 
to not only have this title but like but to be the person in charge of the process and be really good at it yeah and be good at it and i and i think that being able to claim you know i think that men go through life being able to be any kind of leader they want and it's fine (laughs) and without by and large many repercussions and actually i think that female leaders need to spend so much more energy thinking about the leadership style that they that they um, are going to develop and and how they're going to lead a space with kindness and compassion but also firmness and yeah it it, it has been a whole journey in itself so I think that female leadership is is a whole kind of like topic maybe for another podcast Uh, have you read the book pussy I have not. Ooh, oh, okay. That sounds like something so I'd I enjoy. have just read it, and it's everything you just said. Kind of, it's this lady that she says we need to tap into pussy, which means our femininity, oh, and you. we are raised to believe that that is not a good thing. We actually don't want to do that. We need to be like the men, and we need to be in our masculine energy all the time. And it's actually her, it, the whole book is about her launching this academy where she takes women through all these classes, and it's about being so in touch with the power. <laughs> Of your pussy. See, it, it. you know, I've just kind of not got comfortable saying that, but the whole book is about, you know, we're not comfortable going, I've got a pussy and I'm proud of it. Never see, we're all laughing. But that's what the book is about. And it's like, why are we taught that being a woman's this thing that we have to hide and, you know, we can't be now, there's so much power in being in your feminine. And we're taught it's the patriarchy, you know, it's, it's all that stuff. We, like you said, you thought a director was an old white man. Mm. And that's kind of what we're taught to believe. But when we tap into we can do anything we want to do as well, especially now. Yeah, absolutely. But it's still, it's hard. It's, it's hard because it's never an isolated thing, right? Yeah. You're not, you're not a, a leader of a, a company or, you know, of a group of people at, in isolation. And I think that it's also about... Um, other other people's perception, like how yeah, how other totally. people read you, and and yes, taking that power is is one part of the process, mm. but the other part of the process is also making sure that this team of people trust you, regardless of what their outlook is, yeah. and and trust you and listen to you and respect you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. God, it's hard, isn't it? Huh. So, okay, on that then, I guess that leads us on to your dating life, goodness, and how that changed because that's you know. Super cool, super interesting. So, did you were you you, you were always interested in men? Yes. Before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that now we have a name for it, right? Now we we call it um, a compet or mm-hmm. compulsive heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that was what I was feeling for most of my life. Mm-hmm. But also, I I think that bisexuality is is an interesting thing to to explain to folks that that don't feel it but I think Mm -hmm. that when you are bisexual it is obviously so much easier for you to um, be active towards the opposite gender right Mm -hmm. because you just it's what society expects you to do you grow up hearing well when you grow up you're going to have boyfriends and you just accept that when you grow up you're going to have boyfriends and especially when you when that is a gender that you're attracted to then fine you just get stuck there um and so i did you, you you found that you were attracted to men? yes absolutely yeah. i was attracted to men and um and i still am um and and i've spent you know until my mid-20s really mm. uh kind of denying my uh, attraction to women right. and so even though i knew that i had had experiences with women um, I kind of just like put them down to, oh, that was a drunken night thing, or that was a, that was, didn't mean anything. Actually, 
you know, I, I, I was the person saying the very problematic phrase, well, I could kiss a girl, but I could never date a girl. You know, like I, I used to say these words. And was that constant, you didn't actually feel that way, you just thought that's kind of what happens, that, that's kind yeah. of how it has to be. It's a di- I think that it's, it's very difficult to um, detangle yeah. if I did believe it or not. I yeah. think I really did believe it. And I think that, you know, a, a lifetime of a conservative upbringing, yep. a religious upbringing, will do that to you and and so and it was also easier also you know when you have men hitting on you and you just go like fine I don't have to do any work okay I will choose one and I guess it will be fine and you know and that was actually what most of my dating life until my late 20s was it was me dating men that were emotionally unavailable because I never wanted the emotionally available ones (laughs) I just dated the emotionally unavailable They broke my heart, or did they? I don't know. Yeah, you know, they yeah. just, they just left, yeah. and I was sad, and I was like, I must be the problem. Yeah. And was oh. I even satisfied with them? Probably not. It was actually pretty terrible emotionally. I wasn't connecting with them, yeah. but we shagged three times, and it was mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. You know, and it just was this loop, and I just, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. In many many occasions, and we, and and I think that it was. And also had so many girlfriends that were in the same position, so I didn't feel yep. isolated in it. And I and I remember being coming back from my spiritual awakening trip uh, from my Thailand, also where I had you know hooked up with loads of men in that trip, and mm. being like, this feels deeply unsatisfying. Right? Why? Um, and it was only when I came back, and I was twenty seven, and I was like, I think I need to. I have these desires. I'd you know I I kept. Um, thinking back to instances that I had with women whether they were just like flirtatious episodes Mm -hmm. and and that was what I craved more than any of the experiences that I was having with men I love that you chose to notice that because I think sometimes that's really hard yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and I and I think that it took you know it took the all of those years of failed attempts Mm -hmm. to go something isn't working and let me just see what else is out there and that was when I for the first time put my dating app preferences on both men and women and that is when my mind was truly blown because then I was starting to see just how different the communication was and I don't and I think that partly it was that my preference I was like oh my god women like you know I hadn't had many experiences with women so my mind was blown on that account but it was also blown just on the on the very factual objective way in which women are better at dating than men tell us what you mean by that. <sighs> i just i just if i look if i think back at like the first messages mm. at the way that some of these women would first message me or even my fiance you know the first message that she sent me on an online date was like your eyes are the most stunning thing i've ever seen i wasn't going to message you but i just couldn't stop thinking about it. and i was like what man says that yeah. on a first message yeah. they don't like they yeah. are deeply afraid of that like, kind of hey, like you up? hey yeah exactly <laughs> hey what's up Ooh, <laughs> you look, yeah yeah exactly and so there is there is just a um that was my first like strike. I was like, okay, this conversation is different. Also, they're replying at all times of the day. Also, we're going to very deep texting. Um, they're communicating. Yeah, the communicating is excellent. You're not asking me for nudes. This yeah. is delightful. Then we're going on dates in which you have prepared. You have thought about what we're going to do on this date. They you haven't have gone, so what do you fancy? Yeah, Where exactly. Do you go? No, you've proposed. Oh. We're going to go for a walk in the park. Then we're going to go to the cinema. Then we're going to go to this restaurant that I've made a booking. Fantastic. Yeah. You have thought about it. And this wasn't, you know, one woman in isolation. It was every, consistently. You yeah. know, and I was in a in a very, 
maybe I'm not very proud to admit this, but I, I was in a serial dater. Mm -hmm. Like once that season opened, I was like, women are the future. And I am like, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is it. Like enough. I'm going yeah. to date anyone under the sun. Because did you date any men at that point? Or did you no, just switch to dating no, men? No, I just, <laughs> yeah, once it switched. You were just like, this is so much better. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. once it switched, it kind of switched. I I think that there was, there was a couple of men that like sneaked in, mm. <laughs> sneaked their way in during mm. this period. But again, by comparison, I was like, oh no. Right. That this is it was an easy like yeah, yeah it wasn't e and and it was interesting because even at that time you know my friends were like well are you gonna tell your parents and I was like well I'm not gonna tell them until I have a girlfriend and a reason to tell them and okay. then I had a girlfriend and they were like well I'm not gonna tell them until it's serious and that's when I started okay. really realizing and was that why do you think that was I think that it, it was for shame mm -hmm. for fear and I think that because um my coming out to my friends had been just a very gradual, you know, like it popped in conversations and because I had a very liberal group of friends, I never had to come out mm -hmm. like that. Had I'd never had to have that experience. Whereas with my family, they had met boyfriends. Yep. Therefore, they assumed that I was straight. Therefore, I would have to have a coming out. Right. Um, and that, you know, it was, a, my, I'm now 32 and it was only at the age of 29 that I felt okay I need to come out to my parents and that was was a a more difficult process than I thought it was going to be okay um I I think that in my head I was like oh I'm resolved and I'm approaching my 30s and I know who I am and I'm comfortable with who I am mm -hmm. so Love you know that. I've just not had a difficult coming out story and then when it became I need to come out to my family then that was you know uh it had all the layers that for, for many folks have to experience much earlier in life. And I just had kind of delayed it right. until the last possible um, the last possible moment. I and think. how did it go, if you don't mind me asking? No, um, it went, it wasn't excellent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that it, it, it came as a, a shock to most of my family right. members. Um, and I think that it's also, again, conservative Portugal. Yes. Yes. You build a very clear expectation of what you think of what you think your child's life is going to look like. Totally. But also, you know, my parents' biggest fear was the judgment that I would feel from outside. And I think that w what they came to learn and through the conversations that we had was that actually I've been living my life this way for a long time and I've not faced any... And you're happy. And I'm happy. I'm happiest than I've ever been. Ever been. And, I've never, and I've never faced any discrimination, really. Mm -hmm. And therefore, your fears, even though maybe... In Portugal, they would have been, you know, and I, even now when I go to my, with my fiance to Portugal and we're holding hands in the street, yes, we get some looks. That's just part of life yeah. of being a queer person. And yeah. obviously you, you kind of measure where you feel safe and where you don't feel safe. Um, but by and large, you know, it's not something that affects my day to day. And I think that once my parents understood that, that it doesn't, you know, it's not bringing me misery. It's not bringing me a lifetime of, of pain. It's actually bringing me a lifetime of living truthfully in my identity and and yeah. being the happiest that I've ever Which been for that. Which is probably what you can never want for your child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 what you want deep down, right? Yeah. But you know, the also as a parent, I imagine I've never I'm not a parent. Um but I feel like you are living in fear, right? And so like that fear response of like, oh no, what's going to be your life? And you're gonna be plagued by sadness and discrimination your whole life. Um, that was, you know, their first fear. And that once I feel like once they they kind of processed that, once they met my now fiance and saw how happy we were together, then it just kind of, you know Yeah. It just goes away. I love that. Well thanks for sharing. Mm. So then 
your fiance. My fiance. How did that happen? Um. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, it was we met in pandemic. Okay. Nice. Pandemic love story. We yeah, love lovely. pandemic love story. Um. I had just was it on, on an app. It was on an, an app. app. It was on her. Shout out to her. Okay, shout out to her. Shout out to her. Mm-hmm. Any of the queer girlies out there yeah. thinking to check out her. So I was on all the dating apps. Right. I was on Hinge. I was mm-hmm. on Bumble. I was on her. Mm-hmm. I just moved back to the UK. So I, I moved back to Portugal for a, a portion of the pandemic. Right. Um, and then I just moved back to the to the UK just in time for lockdown number three. Lovely. Um, I was very bored at home. I downloaded all the apps just for some like yeah. flirting, mm-hmm. flirting. Um, and... And she sent me a very good hello message. Um, You've got amazing eyes. You've got amazing eyes. You've got amazing eyes. Haven't been able to stop thinking about you. Are you a catfish? Goodness. (laughs) Surely nobody thinks I'm a catfish. Uh, Not interested if you're a catfish. Yeah, exactly. Not interested. Not interested in pursuing if you're a catfish. Um, And then what was really interesting was that at the time I was like talking to like five other people. Um, And so I was like, my attention was a bit split. Mm -hmm. And um, and so uh, is the name of my partner was that every night without fail would text me like a good night question. Just like a good night, very in depth. No, we hadn't she met. She just knew. She just, she was just like, I'm, I'm gonna go in for the kill, yeah. and I'm not. And so on days that I didn't reply for the whole day, that I would just like leave her on red because yeah. I was chatting to my other five girlies. <laughs> I was busy. Uh, I was busy, uh, and so it was just like, okay, come 10 p.m. She's like, hi. Here's a really in-depth question to start us in on in-depth conversation, and we went like this for a month of okay. just like really in-depth texting. And and so you got a feel for each other. Yeah, we way. really yeah. you know we were voice noting and um and then I do love a voice note. I would love yeah, a voice yeah, note. Like you must. And also she has the best French accent. So as soon as she voice noted <gasps> oh, me, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so I'm gone. Yeah, I've just gone now. Um and then I proposed because she was too chicken to ask me out. So I was like, listen, I've been chatting from her. Yeah, and you're obviously you're obviously keen. Well, like me this, oh, yeah. I'm invested, but also I need to let these other five girlies go. <laughs> If this is gonna work out, so let's meet in this park. Um, and so we arranged for uh, an 11 a.m. date in Clapham Common, mm-hmm. and we met and we had a coffee, and then we talked and we walked the park. We did a loop of the park, and we had a tea, and we did a loop of the park, and we got takeaway tie, and we had a new. And so we just continued looping that park until the sunset. <gasps> it was Love very it. beautiful. It was cold. It was February. It was it's so much like, better than looking at your watch. When can I leave? Yeah, <laughs> since it, and we just completely lost track of time, you know. And like, and she brought, Aww. and this is when you know it's like a really like sapphic lesbian date when she like <laughs> brought a card game called We're Not Really Strangers. Okay, does anyone play that I game before? It's very good. It's a card game that has like three tiers of intimacy. Right. Um, good for dates. It's very, it's good for dates, good to, for friends mm-hmm. and fam. Actually, it's good to kind of get to know anyone. Mm-hmm. But she brought that on our first date. Very intense. And so we like sat in a park bench and we like played this game of getting to know each other. Um, and then we, yeah. And then that was our first date. And then we were like, what are you doing tomorrow? And then we just kind of... Did it kind of just go from there? Yeah. We saw each other mm-hmm. every day since. We moved in together by a month into knowing each other. Oh, when you know... This is an example <laughs> when you know, when you, you, know, know. you know. And I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, me too. And especially after spending, you know, over a decade dating, just so dating and then, dating and dating and dating. On when you know you know, just quickly. Because I, I, a lot of people say... Give them another chance. If you didn't really feel it, you know, go on no. the second or the third. And I've no. never, ever been able to do that. I just, I know who I am. 
there's got to be a reason I want to see you again. Not just because, oh, it might grow on you. I, I just know that that's just not, I'm not going to be with a, a grower. <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> you know what I mean. But like, what do you think about that? Hannah, Should you give someone another chance on the, if you felt nothing on the first day? I think if you felt nothing, there's no point. Yeah, I agree. I think protect your energy and protect oh, your time. This like, is my, you're speaking uh, my language. I wish I had heard that protect your energy, protect your but time. But then you hear people that are like, oh, I didn't really fancy him for three dates and now we're married. I think it's like, going to end up in divorce. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't yeah. know what to tell you. Or that might have worked for you, but it's not going to work for me. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also I think that you want to feel... Yeah. I don't think you can manipulate attraction. I totally so you, agree. I think that if you don't, and I think that attraction can grow. Yeah, Absolutely. but the only time I think it grows is when it's organic without you having, like you meet someone at work, right? And they they work really closely to you, but you meet them and you don't fancy them at first. You don't think anything of it. I've had this happen to me and I didn't think anything of it. And then three months in when you spent time with them organically and one day you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I fancy them. I think that only happens in rom-coms, though. Well, <laughs> no? No, it, it happens, happens at work. Our producer, Mariana's had the situation at work. Yeah, I've had absolutely. the situation in the past because we work, you know, when there's a lot of men around at work. But I think that's the only time, I think, yeah. when, it, when you haven't tried to make it happen. Yes. Mm. And I also think that w- th- there's a big difference between meeting in real life totally. and meeting, like, through an app. Yep. Because I think that in, in this situation in which you meet at work, you're not prepared for dating. Yes, you're, just, like, you're not trying kind of spending. to. Whereas mm. I think that if you've met online and there's you come up showing your best, that, and that if that your best mm. is still not making you feel anything, like, yeah. how am I going to feel anything on a yeah, Sunday that, when you're in your joggers? So I'm not. True. Like... <laughs> If they do something on the first or second date and you're like, wow, this is the first, you're supposed to be putting your best self forward right now. Yeah. And I am not impressed. Then you have a point. And also, if that person isn't putting their best self they're forward the on one. the first date, they're not the one. Yeah, they're, they're not respecting you enough absolutely. to be like, I'm giving it my all. Oh. So I just think, yeah, protect your time. Protect. Like, I love it. No, and your story is a really good example of when you know you know. When you know you really do know. And I, I remember. And especially when you know yourself. Yes. You can trust yourself then that you know. I think that's a big part of it. And I think importantly, when you've done. Because I think it's very common that you spend your 20s doing this work to go like, am I avoidant and uh, and what is my attachment style? Am I insecure? Like Mm. you spend a lot of time doing this and being like, why am I attracted to the person that always runs away? Mm. And you're like, you do this game. Or if you don't spend time doing that, you need to. You really should. Like sincerely, please, girlies in their 20s, go away. I was avoidant. I was, yeah. Which also obviously didn't work with other avoidants. (laughs) Yeah, no, I am a secure attached, but... I also swung towards avoidant in my late 20s when I was emotionally unavailable. Mm. But now I'm, I'm a secure, yeah. so he's going to be lucky. I've, but that's the thing, right? You have to do, you have to spend some time oh, like totally. kind of decoding where your patterns come from, mm-hmm. why you're attracted to the people that you're attracted to, yep. to go like, okay, now I'm ready. And mm-hmm. that's the other component of, I think, my relationship at the moment is that we had both gone through the adventure that we had gone through and discovered what we needed and we both matched each other at a I'm ready are you ready I'm ready let's go um and I think that's also about like I think being honest enough with oneself to go I'm not ready but I'm really looking forward to a great time fantastic please go and have your great times yeah I'm really happy that I spent my 20s having great times but I think that you know I think that it's it's about the honesty into which you're going but, but into the dating situations. Honest with yourself because you know yourself. Yes, absolutely. Oh. And I, I actually think that 
that's probably the hardest part, right? Yeah. Is the being honest with yourself yeah, totally. before you can be honest with others. It's yeah. just like, what do you really want? Because, you know, if you'd asked me in my 20s, what do you want? I was like, no, I'm very ready to meet the man. <laughs> Are you? Oh my God, You're not replying to anyone, Tanya. I look back <laughs> and I'm like, um, no, it's, my friends would be like, oh, did you go on a date last night? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, well, how was it? I'm like, oh, um, he kind of had like brown shoes on, so we can't, I can't see him again. You know, and they're like, right, cool. You're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would make any excuse. Mm. And the nicer and amazing they were, the, the less I was interested. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if they're delightful, no, I just no, don't just think, you know, they work in finance. Oh, I just can't I possibly. Can't, I can't possibly. <laughs> like, I can't possibly. They're, and if they were yeah. absolutely avoided, you're like, oh my God, yeah, oh they had the God. best tattoos. Can't wait to see them again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sincerely. So but that was all down to me and what I was going through and how I needed to work through things from the past. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, yeah, work Amazing. on your shit, arrange your house, and then invite somebody in. I love it. How long have you been together now? Uh, three years. Oh, yes, yeah, so it was pandemic. Yeah, Amazing. pandemic times, three well, years. I think that is actually a lovely note to end on. This has been lovely. It has been lovely. Thanks, Hannah. But before we do end then, I like to ask everyone three quick questions. Goodness, let's go. <laughs> what is a quote that you love, that you've come across in life, and it kind of sticks in your mind, anything really? You can, you can <laughs> I can't possibly. I don't know. A quote. <laughs> it does throw everyone off. Pass. Can I pass? No, I must. I must give a quote. Or you can make something up. Make. I can, sing, can sing one. one. Oh, guys, it really nothing is coming to mind okay, right we'll, now. We'll move on to the next question. Well, let's you move come on. back to the quote. What's Might a book on. that you'd recommend? Ooh, aha. Um, a Little Life, if you're feeling brave. Okay. If you're feeling brave, I okay. recommend A Little Life. Um, because I think it's one of the most heartbreaking song, like heartbreaking books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're feeling like you like you would like an epic with some queer undertones, mm -hmm. the Song of Achilles okay. is yeah one of my my new newfound favorites. Wicked. And then, what's a piece of life advice you would give your younger self? Ah. Oh. <laughs> um. I would say trust. Yeah, I would say I would say trust in yourself mm -hmm. and it will get better. Maybe that can be your quote too, you know. Yeah, trust in yourself and it will get better. Unless That's you, it. It's not very profound, but I think that, that it does the trick. That's very profound and it's also spot on. Any quote that's coming in? No quote. The we'll quotes are gone. <laughs> okay, we'll let you off. Because it's been such a great convo. Um, okay, and where can our listeners find you? Uh, my listeners can find me on Instagram, <laughs> on <laughs> at TVates. Your listeners. Um, or you can check my work on my website, www.tannyazavido.com. Cool, and I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. Well, thanks for coming on today, Tanya. It's Thank you great. so much. It's been lovely. Goodness, I feel like I've shared a lot. I do. It was amazing. <laughs> great chat. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Wholeness with Hannah. I hope you found it insightful and uplifting. And my one wish is that it's left you a little more equipped than it found you. Shout out to my amazing guests and my wonderful producer, Mariana. If you could subscribe, rate and review, I'd love you forever because it really helps the podcast. Or share with a friend if you think it will help them. You can also follow the pod on Insta at Wholeness with Hannah. Thanks and see you next episode.